You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight injuries with Will Carroll and cover the league with NFL Network analyst and former NFL head coach Steve Mariucci. Brian, let's kick off the podcast today previewing Thursday night football with the Hall of Famer and former Rams offensive lineman Orlando Pace. Orlando, always a pleasure to have you on the show. We chatted with you the night in San Francisco. You got the good news. You were heading to Canton, Ohio. And I'm based here in L.A., so I'm aware that you and the rest of the Rams Hall of Famers were honored before the season opener at the L.A. Coliseum. What's your mindset about the team now that they're back in Southern California, given your years in St. Louis? Well, uh, obviously that was a business move for the Rams. It was great for that organization. Uh, to get back where where they you know they started they were there for so many years, and uh, what's, what's, what was what was outstanding for me was just to see these these fans who followed us to St. Louis, followed the Ram organization to St. Louis. So as we walked through the game, walked through the parking lot, and embraced some of those fans that that, that they still remember those St. Louis Rams, and that's important for guys who really played in St. Louis to still feel that love from that organization and so many uh, Ram fans in L.A. Orlando, when you look at the Rams now, and it seems as if, and congratulations on everything, bro. Um, when you get a chance to see the Rams now playing the way they are, now that they have Coach McVay, and you see the offensive line playing a little bit better, uh, they're trying to give Todd Gurley the ball, the quarterback in Jared Goff is playing good. Uh, how does it make you feel to see this Rams team trying to find a way? I know it's early. I know you probably need to see more. But in comparison to what we saw last year and in comparison to these first two games and the effort they're putting in, uh, how excited are you for this football team moving forward? I'm I'm really excited. And, you know, last year it was was tough to score touchdowns. And it was tough to watch being a a former Ram myself or being a Ram myself. uh, To be out there in that atmosphere to actually see the development of a Jared Goff, that offense moving up and down the field and, and scoring some touchdowns and, this past offseason, I had a chance to talk to to, to Sean, and, and, and we talked about football, and he loves football. And I felt like he was the right guy to get this offense going and help really help develop a young quarterback in Jared Goff. The Hall of Famer Orlando Pace is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Orlando, your teammate, Torrey Holt, has been nominated for the Pro Football Hall of Fame again. Why do you think he's had to wait to join you in Canton, Ohio? Many of us think undeniably Torrey's a Hall of Famer. Well, you know, that, that receiver, uh, there's a log jam for those receivers. And, and it's funny because those guys have all the stats uh, when you look at their numbers. And there's so many great receivers during that era. But, you know, the committee has their process of how they go about it. But, you know, he's a Hall of Famer in my book. And, and hopefully uh, he'll get in soon. But it is a log jam with so many guys. I know Randy Moss is coming up this year. T.O.'s obviously on the ballot. Another teammate, Isaac Bruce, is on the ballot as well. So, uh, obviously, I'll be rooting for my guys to get in, but it is some it is some tough competition. Well, you could say uh, all those players on the on that greatest show on turf team uh, will probably get in because they all play really good football. But you guys were ahead of your time, Orlando. Just think about it. When you watch the offenses now, uh, and when we go all the way back to 2001, 2002, uh, when you go back and look at everything, uh, and that's the Super Bowl I was talking about, 
the spread offense is what you guys were doing way back when. I mean, how they were using Marshall Falk is how they try to use back today. I mean, you guys were so far ahead of the curve uh, to the point where when you watch the game now, you, you think you may uh, be able to lace them up and give another shot at this thing because I'm more than sure you're still in shape, right? <laughs> I'm still in shape, man. I probably got about a quarter left to play with that. But, uh, you know, when you look when you look at today's game, it's similar to a lot of things we did, and we had so many so many great players. Anytime you give, anytime Marshall Falk is close to a thousand yards receiving, that's just an added threat. And then we're trying to get five guys out and route, we put a lot of pressure on our offensive line. But uh, like you say, at that time, teams really weren't prepared to see that type of talent. Getting out, we're passing the ball 50 times a game, and that's what really today's game is. Is is a, is a big trying. Everybody's trying to get big chunks and, and score really fast. So uh, I think we were ahead of our game, our time, and, and we had some good athletes to really make that system go as well. Orlando, we've had a lot of conversation on this show about shaky offensive line play around the league to start the season. If you saw the Giants on Monday Night Football, that was a disaster. Do you have a theory about what's going on? I've heard that college linemen who play in a spread offense like Cordell was talking about are having trouble making the move to the NFL. It's funny. I was having that conversation with a guy probably a year or two ago, and, and I came from the era where it was at Ohio State where it was three yards in the cloud of dust, and we ran the ball. So we were physical at the point, but we passed it. And I think the spread offense is it's, it's a little different. I don't think linemen coming out are as physical or – uh, but they're not taught the, the proper technique coming into the league. And when when you come into the league and it becomes a passing league, and you're not used to passing the ball 30, 40 times a game, and, and you know, you're used to the read option, that kind of thing, it makes it different. That's a difficult transition for, for you know, any, any lineman stepping into a situation where they got to protect a million-dollar quarterback back there, a big-name quarterback, and, and uh, they got to pass the ball 30 or 40 times or a pressure pressure situation and also a combination of that defensive ends and linebackers and defensive, the whole defensive front, these guys are so much more athletic these days. So they're putting a lot more pressure on a lot of these offensive linemen too, because you're, you're pretty much as a left tackle, you're blocking the best athlete on the field in that right defensive end. And I don't know if these guys coming out of college are, are prepared as much as they need to be uh, to block that type of talent. I saw that being uh, one of your statements you made, uh, on your Hall of Fame page and, and saying how you have to be probably the best athlete, especially when it comes to the blind side uh, of your of your quarterback. And in your case, you were what Kurt Warner was he a he was a right hander. Yeah, he was a right hander. And right, so yeah, yeah, he was a righty. So you you had your hands full. But when you see players like the Eric Flowers playing for the Giants and how bad he was getting beat this past weekend by the Detroit Lions, whenever you see that with an offensive lineman, what does that do, especially a tackle? Uh, on that side, what does it do to you uh, when watching it? Does it does it make you scratch your head? Do you kind of, you know, quiver just you know, kind of get nervous just a little bit to the point where you just want to reach out to the kids, or you just be like, you know, that's just bad coaching, whether it's coming out of college or even the coaches in the National Football League. Well, I think the player, the player in me just says, man, I feel bad for this kid. Number one, number two, guys got to realize in this game, you got to be a professional. Cordell, you know this as well as anybody. You have to prepare. So if I'm facing the defensive end, I got to study every move that he does. So when I step on that field on Sunday, I know exactly what he's going to do in pressure situations. And so I'm prepared mentally for that. But then again, I got to have my own game plan. So, you know, obviously offensive line is a game, a game within a game. And then you got to just be nasty at some point. It's your will against my will and who's going to win. So it's a combination of all those things. 
but then technique, the coaching, all that comes into play too. And and from a coaching staff perspective, they got they have to know what they have in the offensive line. Send somebody over to chip. Send somebody over to help. If he has a tough defender in that in that spot that day, but it all begins with preparation, knowing what that defensive guy is going to do week in and week out, and and when he's really trying to get a sack, what's his go-to move. So I think you know I don't know, and I don't know the kid personally, so I don't know. I don't want to jump on him, but it's just it's, I think it's all about preparation. It's a, it makes the the game come a lot easier. Chatting with the Hall of Famer Orlando Pace, part of the NFL Legends community. Aaron Donald back with the Rams, and they'll take care of him financially eventually. We know he's one of the three best defensive players in all of football. Orlando, since Aaron is an interior lineman, if you had a matchup with him inside, how would you try to slow him down as he's had a tremendous knack to get to the quarterback? Uh, he's a tough guy. Uh, he's a, he'd be a tough guy to block because he's so quick, but he's also powerful. So if you, if you, get, if you catch your leaning, he could uh, he could uh, get by you pretty quick, or he can you know he can roll you over pretty pretty much anyway. He's one of those guys that, like I said, you got to prepare for him. You got to change it up. I always say against good 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 linemen like that, I can't give you the same thing every snap, every play. I got to change it up. Like, man, maybe I cut you a snap, maybe I hit you in the head. I do I do different things to try to get you frustrated, but I can't give you the same dose every everything every play. Uh, so I think. You know, I, that's that's probably the game plan I would go in and just facing a good player like Aaron Donald. Finally, you're in the most exclusive club in all of sports. The Hall of Fame is such a unique brotherhood, but we have a great relationship with the NFL Legends community. What's it mean to you to be a part of that wonderful initiative? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity, something I really believe in, and, and the league really rolled it out. Uh, and, and I'm a liaison between uh, – the league and then former players. So many guys leave the game and they're bitter about leaving the game. And, and what the legend community do is bring those guys back into the fold, bring them back into the community, reconnect them with some team, with their team and, and some former players. And we just and really just love on them and serve on them and, and let them know what's available to them. Cause the league has a lot of programs that can help a lot of guys out, former players out. And uh, I'm just one of those guys that that's here to serve those guys. That's a terrific mindset. We appreciate you taking the time as we say goodbye. Is Ohio State going to be okay this year? They scared me a couple of weeks ago, but I know I got faith in Urban Meyer, man. I think he'll get it, get him going down the right, right path. And uh, by the end of the year, some of those young guys will be playing well. All right, JT Barrett could use you. He's running around for his life. <laughs> I know, right? That's it. <laughs> Thank you, Orlando. We appreciate you taking the time. All right, you guys have a good day. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle, a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane punt returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed with more taste with only 96 calories, Miller Lite, the original light beer. To be enjoyed from pregame to postgame, it's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste. Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on the biggest stories across football with former head coach and NFL Network analyst Steve Mariucci. You're listening to the NFL on TuneIn. It's No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. He gets the shotgun snap. He hands to Hyde, who stops and stutter steps and tries from the 10 to the 5. Drives on the hash mark into the end zone. Touchdown run, Carlos Hyde. 
Kevin Harlan with the call. Westwood won. We had to go back to last year to find a Niner offensive touchdown. Looking to find the end zone for the first time tonight. Thursday night football. San Francisco and the L.A. Rams renewing their rivalry. Brian Weber, Cordell Stewart, back with you. Pleased to be joined by Steve Mariucci of NFL Network. You'll see him tonight. Part of their exclusive coverage of the Rams and the 49ers getting together on Thursday night football. Coach, always a pleasure. We covered your Niner teams when they were making it to the NFC Championship game. Obviously, things have changed. This team only won a pair of games last year. How do you see the current state of the franchise? Well, hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Good to be with you. I, I, I'm anxious to go into that stadium and watch them play against the Rams. Like you mentioned, they haven't scored a touchdown yet this year. Of course, they have a new system with Kyle Shanahan's offense and, and, and John Lynch uh, in controls with personnel. So this is a rebuild, and, and they chose to go with a veteran quarterback and Brian Hoyer um, to hold the uh, hold down the fort here as they're building up the rest of their team. They seem to be building up their defense, adding some parts to the offense, but I, I look to them to, to see if they're going to add a veteran free agent quarterback next year or draft one high and, and, and find that guy, Brian Hoyer, has been with a lot of teams. He has played well at times. Um, they've, they've just got to get back on track. It won't be easy tonight because the Rams' defense is pretty good. Coach, and, and looking on the other side of the ball, the Rams, uh, you, you talked about new system and rebuilding. Uh, tell me what you see with Sean McVay and how he's trying to transition uh, Jared Goff to become a, a quarterback that belongs in the National Football League, which I think over the last two weeks he really looked that way up until this point. Yeah, Cordell, you're right, and, and I think that's why, you know, they, they made the change and, and hired a Sean McVay, who had been the offensive coordinator with the Washington Redskins and and uh, helping Kurt Cousins make a lot of money. And and so the Rams feel that they need an offensive guy to bring Jared Goff along. You know, they spent, geez, they spent a lot of draft choices moving up to get him. You know, they got, a, they got the number one pick in the draft and a fourth and a sixth, but they gave up six draft choices to move up two ones, two twos, and two threes. And that's expensive. So they got to be right. They got to make this work. And Sean McVay is the guy they chose with his system to come on in and let's get something from our, our, our young quarterback, Jared Goff, who, who by the way, is coming home tonight. He's from here. Yeah. He's from the Bay area. Right. And so he'll have a bunch of fans here and it's a big, he grew up a 49er fan, a Joe Montana fan, but but, you know, they've been building up the defense over the last few years, really, with Jeff Fisher. And now it's time to, to start, uh, you know, adding to their offense. So they've done that with some, you know, some new linemen, uh, some new receivers. And Sean McVay is the exact right guy now to, to, to bring along Jared Goff. Steve, since we're highlighting Bay Area connections, you were the head coach of the California Golden Bears. So I'm presuming you tracked Goff when he was playing in Berkeley. Yeah. What was your view of Jared coming into our league? Well, even before that, you know, because he played at Marin Catholic High School over here. He grew up in Nevada, just north of the, of the bridge. And, and so I've, I've been following, we've all have been following this kid for a long time. And he, had, he was one of those guys that ran a spread offense, Sonny Dyke's offense, at Cal, right? Um, and there's a transition period a little bit, going from that offense where the coach is calling all the plays, you're in shotgun every single snap, <clears throat> to a pro-style offense. Yeah, a lot of uh, our game is in shotgun now, but he still is under the center. He still has play-action pass uh, where he turns his back to the defense. He's got used to that thing, that kind of thing. So, you know, his first rookie year, he only had seven starts. It took him a while to get used to this pro game. But, boy, you know, he, like you mentioned earlier, uh, his game against the Colts, he looked great. 
And in the second game, he looked okay against the Redskins, uh, did well at times. So I think he's on the right track. We have to be patient. He's a young kid. He's only 22 years old. When I was 22, I couldn't remember where my car came from. <laughs> so, this kid's making some good progress, and they're starting to surround him with a good supporting cast. You mentioned making good progress. Uh, go to Kansas City. I mean, talk about that progress with Alex Smith and, and everything I think everyone has mentioned, whether it's NFL Network, ESPN, even us. And saying that he, you know, he can only throw the intermediate passes really good. And, yeah. and when is he going to open it up? And he comes out week one, coach, and he does a yeah. great job against New England. And then this past weekend, he like beat the Philadelphia ball. Eagles at the very last minute. How great was he so far? Hey, you don't think, Cordell, you don't think that the people here in San Francisco are saying – Darn, I wonder if we would have kept Alex <laughs> Smith around here. He was right. the number one pick here a few years ago. And, yeah, I'm really happy for Alex because he's perfect in Andy Reid's system. They don't drop back and throw it from the pocket every single play. They move him around like crazy. He's an athletic quarterback. Um, it, it, you know, he, the nick was he doesn't throw the ball down the field to the receivers as often as maybe some others. But, you know, they dink and dunk and they nickel and dime and they run. The, I love Kareem Hunt. Right, the new rookie running back from Toledo over there, uh, replacing Spencer Ware. But but kudos to Andy Reid and and uh, Alex Smith because he is having a terrific start. Heck, he's all of a sudden he turns into an MVP candidate, doesn't he? Which is just an amazing yes. transformation. Chatting with a great friend of the program, Steve Mariucci of NFL Network. Steve, coming up on the network, your friends Michael Irvin and Ladanian Tomlinson scheduled to debate. If, in fact, Ezekiel Elliott quit on the play when Dak Prescott threw the interception in Denver, you know, Michael's ready to defend any cowboy. When you saw the play, what stood out to you? Yeah, we just, guys, we just had a production meeting, right? Because we go on the air here pretty soon. We uh, go to the stadium here in about a half an hour. And then that's when we're all in that conversation, okay? Not just Michael and LT, but Marshall and I as well. And, yeah, Michael Michael got a little... uh, Michael gets emotional sometimes. This just in. He gets emotional sometimes, <laughs> especially when it has to do with his Cowboys. But we're going to talk about that because it was, it was an interesting thing. Um, and LT made that comment as he was sitting uh, on our show on Sunday night uh, with our prime show with Dion, and he, and he, and he kind of suggested that he quit. And, and, and I, he, I guess he meant he quit on that play. Um, every now and then you'll see somebody on an interception, an offensive player that doesn't hustle and try to make the, uh, make the tackle like he should. And that's what happened. So he certainly gave up on that play, but then the cameras kept on his face, you know, on the sidelines and it kind of appeared he was pouting a little bit and just kind of disinterested. And he was having a tough time. He had nine rushes for eight yards. There was a real frustration in this kid's uh, face. And, and so, um, you know, now we're all talking about it, but, uh, you know the word "quit" is a is a pretty pretty strong word. Um, you know, I, I certainly I don't think he quit on his team or anything like that. I think he certainly gave up on that play, which you'd like to see him hustle and try to make a tackle. Heck, Cordell, how many tackles did you make after interceptions? You got to chase oh, them down sometimes. Right? I made, you make I, a decision. Oh, coach, I ran huh? so hard to try to tackle him. I sometimes almost hurt myself because I was so mad. And let alone yeah. I had to make sure he didn't get too many yards as far as the yards per carry on that thing. So I, I was yeah. uh, I had a different uh, mo an approach to, yeah. to tackling those guys. But, I mean, everything you said is, is 110% correct. But I like to kind of flip the, the energy to a side of, uh, of not something so good and, and juicy, but something that's kind of that's going to cause you to dive into your coaching world of, 
of guys with an attitude, and that's the Giants. Give me your take on their attitude and, and what they hadn't been able to do so far up until this point, which is very uncharacteristic of their team. Yeah, I don't know about their attitude. I just know their play hasn't been very good, you know. And, and so what you have here is a team with, you know, some high expectations. I think we all had – I picked them to beat the Cowboys in the opener. Why? Well, they've beaten them three times in a row. And they and they, the Cowboys were thirteen and three last year. Well, two of those losses were to the Giants. So I thought they would show up and beat the Cowboys. Well, that didn't happen. They only scored three points on offense. And now, you know, you're talking about an zero and two team um, going into uh, or uh, let's see, where are we here? You know, we're zero and two team going into Philadelphia, who's a very good team right now, a very dangerous team. And I, I don't know. I, I, it looks like their offensive line is having struggles. There's no question about that. Odell Beckham's been hurt, and and that's to me, that's a little. I don't, I don't want to call it a distraction or anything, because he's a heck of a player. He's a good personality for this league. But you know, it's like he's going to play. Is he not going to play? Is he going to talk to the you know, the kicking net or not. I mean, I don't know. And I thought Brandon Marshall would have more of an impact on this team. And he really has been, he's been invisible for the most part. And, and their offensive line really doesn't protect Eli. He's not a mobile quarterback. Um, they have a good defense. They spent a ton of money on their defense last year and they're, they're pretty darn good. It's just, it's just offensive production that's lacking right now. And they look sloppy on fourth and one. They got, they get a penalty. It's like, it's like, what's going on over there? Um, like to see them establish the ground game. But Paul Perkins and Shane Vereen are good backs. I don't know if there's a bell cow there. You know, it's just they're, they're not – they're just a very average team on offense right now. They need to figure it out because they got a tough schedule coming up. Yeah, on the road in Philadelphia, then on the road in Tampa Bay. Steve, as we wrap it up, the financial imperative when the Niners decided to make plans for a new stadium made sense going to Santa Clara. It's close to the facility. Yeah. You know about all the Silicon Valley money. But did this franchise lose something special when they left Candlestick Point? Oh, boy. Well, you know, Candlestick, it was a terrible stadium. It was an old stadium. It was a baseball stadium. Willie Mays had a lot of home runs over there, okay? And so the the three stadiums in California, Jack Murphy down in San Diego and over at the Coliseum in Oakland and then Candlestick were all baseball stadiums, right, which needed to be replaced a long time ago. So thankfully, uh, we have a new stadium at Levi Stadium. But talk about the great moments. Um, in candlestick, not just for baseball with Willie McCovey and, you know, Juan Marichal and everybody, but with, with the Niner football, um, creating the dynasty of the eighties and the nineties and, and winning so many games over there. It was a, it was an old rickety stadium that had a lot of great memories and a lot of great wins in it. In fact, my, my last game, how about this? My last game in candlestick ever was a playoff game against the giants when we were 24 points down and came back and won that thing 39 to 38 against the giants in the playoffs. So I have some really fond memories of that place, but it's gone. It's going to be a, it's going to be a development site now for new housing and and everything else. You're listening to NFL no huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to a beer brewed, they handle a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane punt returns. And I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer. That's always brewed with more taste with only 96 calories. Miller light, the original light beer to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste, Miller Lite. 
This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time for Cordell Stewart's favorite segment, Spotlighting Injuries with Injury Analyst Will Carroll. Will, thanks for taking the time. We talked about Andrew Luck last week. I want to circle back in part because you live in Indy. Let's say he is deemed to be ready to play next month and the Colts still haven't won the game. They're 0-7, they're 0-8, something like that. Do you think there'd be a balancing act between making sure he stays healthy, perhaps shutting him down for the rest of the year, against the need to win a game or two? No, I don't think they'll shut him down. And here's why. It's just not in Jim Irsay's DNA. Uh, There's no one in the organization that really wants to lose. Uh, Even when they had that terrible season, when Peyton Manning was out, ended up leaving Indianapolis, That wasn't by design. That was just by the fact that Peyton Manning pretty much was that team at at that point. It was always something of a balancing act. Uh, With Andrew Luck, it's much the same. Uh, Unfortunately, there's just not enough talent around him. Uh, It's not a horrible team. It's just not a good team. He takes it from somewhere between an 8-10 and win team to a 4-6 to win team, Uh, just depending on how the breaks go, how well Jacoby Brissett picks up on the offense and how healthy they can stay, which isn't something the team's been very good at. I think he comes back. I think he comes back much quicker than people think, but not along the lines, not far along the lines of what people thought originally, which is week six, week seven, somewhere in there. I just can't see Jim Irsay shutting it down, largely because, first, he just doesn't want to lose. B, if Chuck Pagano's still here by then, he's going to want to do everything he can to show he can win with the talent uh, it's certainly a very good excuse to not have your, your Pro Bowl quarterback out there. Uh, but second, it, it's really going to be tough. If they're going for that number one pick, you're, now you're counting on trading it because you know maybe the first three picks are going to be quarterback. Uh, and if Andrew Luck is back, if you believe he's ever going to play again, then you don't want one of those guys. How about Rob Gronkowski? Uh, here's a team that's that's really loved having him around, particularly uh, in the red zone, uh, being able to run down the seams, uh, to be able to have those matchup issues. But but as of lately, it's been looking pretty bad uh, for, for Rob Gronkowski. Give me your take on his situation with his injuries, and will he ever be the Rob Gronkowski that we once saw before? No, but 95% of Gronkowski, even 90% of Gronkowski is pretty darn good. Um I, watching the first couple games they've played, uh, you know, he just doesn't look comfortable yet. I don't know if that is confidence, which you wouldn't think of would be a problem with him, uh, or whether that back, which has now had three separate surgeries on the lower back area, is really, really becoming a major problem for him. I don't think there's another one in there. Uh, you know, if he needs another surgery, if that back just can't hold up, I'm not sure how much longer he's going to play. I'm not sure how much longer he's going to want to play regardless. So uh, you can see in the setups, they're doing everything they can to get him out of those situations where he's blocking uh, some of those things on his back that are really difficult is if he tries to block one of those speed rushers, if he's helping out in those situations and gets pushed back and his back goes into extension, that's been problematic, not only for him, but you take a look at J.J. Watt, some other people, uh, we're seeing this as an increasing problem around the NFL. So it looks like they're specifically trying to protect him from that, get him more out in space, which isn't what you think of from a 260-pound tight end. Uh, But I do think they're trying to protect him. The groin, I don't think that's a big concern. He was out there. He was on a wet surface. If they were really worried about it, that's exactly what they would have kept him away from.
Injury analyst Will Carroll is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Will, we could devote a lot of time to the injury history of Sam Bradford, but if he's quote-unquote only dealing with a bone bruise this time, how encouraging is that compared to the other more serious knee injuries he's endured in the past, like a pair of torn ACLs? Yeah, this certainly wasn't going to be along those lines. The question is, when you've got that kind of injury history on the same knee, what other damage happened in there? Has he lost his meniscus? Was there meniscus damage? Is there bone-on-bone contact? Is it a little bit unstable because of that previous issue? And it looks like the answer to all of them is yes. Uh, So the fact that you can bruise that bone, that he had some sort of instability, that he came down on it in just the wrong way is problematic. But this has always been a maintenance issue. Eric Sugarman, even back when he was in Philadelphia, they've had to maintain him. There was a great article, I think, at Bleacher Report a couple of years ago about what Dwayne Wade, a guy who's been a great player in the NBA for years, has had to do day to day. It's almost four hours of work that he's had to do just to be able to get out there. And they've had great success with him uh, even well into his career. It's much the same thing for a lot of players that have had this because you're almost always going to get arthritic changes in the knee after a meniscus or after an ACL injury, which almost always involves the meniscus. So it's one of those things where you've got to get him back. You've got to get him on a maintenance program. And it's difficult because that's hours out of the day. And the medical staff only has 24. They occasionally like to sleep and eat. Uh, So it gets difficult. I don't know why more staffs, especially in baseball, don't have more athletic trainers. They're relatively cheap. You know, if you had to get one for every player, it would probably be a pretty good investment. Uh, you do see some players, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if Bradford went this route, get their own guys from outside the team that help them with that so that they can extend their careers and make many, many more millions. How about Vic Beasley, Will? Uh, he's, he's a big part of what they do on defense with the Atlanta Falcons, uh, sacks, being able to apply pressures. Yeah. Uh, but his hammy, he's out for a month, they say, up to a month. Uh, give me your take on how long it's truly going to take him to play and in, in, in thinking of the struggles of his team without him. Yeah, this is, this is just a tough injury. You, I think we talked about this last week, how you, you can't just say defensive end anymore or wide receiver or running back because Styles – really put a context on what they do well, what they don't do well, and what an injury is going to do that. Beasley is such a speed guy, an acceleration explosion guy, that if he's having to worry about that hamstring, if that hamstring is hanging by a string, uh, almost literally, he just can't do what he needs to do. You can't suddenly switch and say, okay, Vic, you're just going to be a power guy. Or, uh, you know, you're, gonna, you're just going to be a taking up space. He's never going to be that. Uh, you know, you can't turn him into Vince Wilfork in a couple of weeks, um, you know, without a lot of time at a Vegas buffet. Uh, so <laughs> a lot of barbecue, too, huh? A ha- lot of barbecue. Uh, what Beasley's going to have to do is just wait. There's almost nothing you can do to accelerate this, but you can make it worse. <laughs> it's tough to be patient. You go through the treatment. You do the things you're supposed to do, you rest it, and then you're ready to go. There's a lot of ways he can keep up his conditioning. I think it'll be about a month given the information we have, uh, and it's tough. But the last thing you want to do is come back too quickly, do something too much, and set it all the way back and end up missing another month. Talking bumps and bruises with injury analyst Will Carroll. Will, we know that Greg Olson means so much to the Panther offense. He's been sidelined with a broken foot. What does the rehab look like there? Almost nothing, really. Uh, you know, for, for broken bones, broken bones heal. I mean, everybody knows somebody that's broken a bone. We Almost all of us have broken a bone. It's painful. You don't want to do it, but they heal. 
you know, as long as you don't have to do anything too drastic. And even when you do, think back to Paul George when he had that uh, absolutely gruesome injury where the bone popped through. Um, you know, he healed up, and he's fine now, and he's back to being one of the NBA's best players. Bones heal, and we've seen this type of injury. Now, the Panthers haven't confirmed this, but everything that's happened points to this being a Jones fracture. You'll remember uh, Julio Jones had this, uh, uh, Des Bryant. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people in the NFL that have had this problem and have come back. So you're looking at a minimum of eight weeks. Normally we talk about six to ten for this kind of fracture, what they do is they go in, they just basically put a screw straight through the side of the foot, uh, running forward through the bone, and let it heal up in place. And, and so the bone takes about six weeks, takes a couple more weeks to get the confidence in it. But since he's on the IR, he's got to be out eight weeks. So I think we're going to see him right around that eight to ten week mark. I mean, you have two players on the on the Green Bay Packers team. You have Cobb as well as Nelson, but Cobb with his shoulder and, and Jordy Nelson with his quad injury, how impactful will that be uh, for these two guys to be on the same team and uh, potentially not play? I think it'll be Cobb that'll end up, well, Cobb will be out. Jordan Nelson will be ready for week three uh, from what I hear. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Cordell. Let's start with Jordy because he's the simple one. Uh, We've all uh, unfortunately had this, and I'm sure you had this in the NFL, Cordell, uh, where you take a knee to your thigh uh, or a, a knee to the leg. Worse is knee to knee contact. It's just painful. It hurts like crazy. You certainly don't want it. But if, if you've ever had a knee to your thigh, you know how much it hurts. And, and Jordy's a, a speed guy, so he just couldn't play. Thing is, it goes away pretty quickly. You'll have a bruise. You'll hobble a little bit. But in a couple of days, you're back to being you. And I think that's what's going to happen with Jordy Nelson. On the other hand, that shoulder-slash-chest injury, there's been a little bit of confusion about exactly what it is. I'm told it's an AC separation. Uh, the joint in between the, the clavicle, the collarbone, and the shoulder separated just a little bit. Uh, so it's essentially a sprain. There's some involvement with, with the pectoral, the, the chest muscle, which does a lot of people forget that it attaches up in the shoulder, actually moves it forward. If you're a quarterback, you'd worry about that a little bit more. Uh, but for uh, him, he's having a hard time raising his arms above his head. And if he can't do that, certainly that's going to impact his skills as a receiver. So I don't think Cobb is going to be ready to go. I'll be watching him pretty closely over the next couple of days. They're saying game time decision, but I, I would lean to, I'm almost sure Nelson's going to play. I'm pretty darn sure that Cobb won't. And we know that Green Bay was missing both starting tackles on the offensive line when they lost yeah. on the road in Atlanta, hoping to bounce back against the Cincinnati team in disarray. Will, great information as always. Look forward to chatting with you next week here on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks a lot, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle, a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane punt returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed with more taste with only 96 calories, Miller Lite, the original light beer. To be enjoyed from pregame to postgame, it's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste. Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's spotlight today's home team hero, Rams receiver Robert Woods. Now it's time for the home team hero presented by Miller Lite. It's NFL No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We're highlighting the players who were lucky enough to play for their hometown team, making them your home team hero. Presented by Miller Lite. 
Cordell, as we focus on Robert Woods, let's talk about your football journey. You're from New Orleans, but went to Colorado to play college football. Did you consider staying in state and playing for LSU? Well, I tell you what, you know, LSU was a team that I liked a lot, to be honest with you. That's the hometown team. You know, we have Mardi Gras, Purple and Gold. Uh, we have high schools there. St. Augustine, that was one of my favorite teams. I played against my, my high school. Uh, they were purple and gold. And then we had the state team, uh, which was the team that actually represented our state very well for many, many years, LSU, uh, that was the, had the quarterback. Tommy Hodson was there, was a quarterback. And Lena Valentine from our high school ended up going there too as well. So uh, they, they recruited me a little late, but it was one of the teams that I liked a lot, uh, loved a lot, actually. But Colorado won the national championship, and they were recruiting me. So I went on and took my services there. And, you know, I, I know we all know how that actually ended up. But LSU was one of the teams that I really liked because Tommy Hodson, who was a quarterback, was a quarterback I truly loved watching, uh, considering that he was another hometown boy as well. As for Robert Woods, he's become a home team hero this season. He's from the greater L.A. area, playing his high school football at Sarah High in Gardenia. Then he earned all Pac-12 honors at USC back in L.A. with the Rams, signing as a free agent after playing for the Bills for four years. Woods was a burner in high school. High school All-American sprinter in track. Cordell, how has that speed helped him in the pros? Well, I tell you what, it's pretty fast. Uh, he can get away from most and that's one thing about a, a fast player and, and, and having a chance to, to be a part of the hometown team, whether it's college and in the pros. That's, that doesn't happen often, right? Where the team where you play for in college to having a chance to play for the team in the pros in the same stadium, all that good stuff. It's pretty remarkable to say the least. But uh, speed kills. You ever hear that, that, that notion sometimes, that theory, that speed does kill? And that not, not literally, but figuratively. This is football, so we can talk aggressively every once in a while. But that's what they say about speed and anytime you have that type of speed where you could take the top off of defense you can get reverses you can catch a slant and take it to the house MIA take it to the house uh, it, it really uh, I think bowls to, to be something that favors you uh, especially when it's in your hometown uh, being able to have that opportunity a few other players that's playing in the National Football League right now that's playing in their hometown uh, guy in the Bay Area how about that guy? The guy with the long hair that was banging his head like he was a, a rock star. Uh, he wears number 24 in Oakland. Uh, how about that guy? Marshawn Lynch. Beast mode. He's another one of those guys uh, that stayed home and actually played um, around the place that he adored growing up as a kid, which was the Oakland Raiders. But he's not playing in the same stadium in which he played his college right. football. And yes. Woods has that distinction. Just a handful of players to have the ability to put on the pads in the same venue mm. that he shined on Saturdays in college football, now getting it done on Sundays when he plays his home games at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. Cordell, from a player's perspective, what are the pros and cons of playing in front of so many family and friends? I've heard from former players that sometimes going on the road is better because you don't have to deal with all the ticket requests. <laughs> Man, I mean... Just imagine, let's let's put this in perspective. Okay, so you're from the hometown. You get a chance to play college in the stadium. You know you got to deal with those tickets. And then uh, you're in the National Football League where now uh, there's dividends uh, that comes when you actually have the opportunity to play in the National Football League level. And guess how many tickets you think you're going to have to take care of then? Now, 
then there's the side where you're the home team and your family is actually in town, meaning your immediate family. You have family that want to come up. Uh, I can only give that small sample size of conversation uh, about loving going on the road to where you don't have to worry about, you know, facilitating tickets, you know, when the girlfriend or the wife or the family comes up, the immediate family comes up and they want to bring a friend from the hometown to to watch you play. Maybe not playing in the same city per se that you you played in when you were growing up or even uh, when you played college football in the same stadium, but just having uh, those people around all the time, whether it's, again, as I mentioned, girlfriend or or cousins of some sort that want to bring their friends or just people in general want tickets. That can, it could be a little nerve wracking at times. That's why you hear a lot of players, you know, uh, that say they love going on the road to play because they don't have to facilitate tickets. And guess what? If they do, it's just putting them in will call and allowing those friends that are in those cities to go and play the game. But you don't have to see them at the hotel or you don't have to have them at home because you're not at home. You're on the road. So they're not coming to the hotel because all of your time is occupied with watching film, hanging out with your buddies, maybe go and grab a bite to eat somewhere else or maybe go to a mall or just go do something for that little time that you do have uh, to spend time with just your teammates. But you're focused on the game. You don't have to worry about much. So the road, the road games, eight out of 10 to eight and a half to nine out of 10 times for most of the guys or the most peaceful times that they get a chance to where they can focus better and they can go out and perform and be locked in on what's going on around them with the team. We're spotlighting Robert Woods. He is the home team hero presented by Miller Lite, and he's on the road with the Rams tonight in Santa Clara, California, taking on a 49er team that only won two games last year. Both those wins came against the Rams. Cordell, in terms of X's and O's, we know that Tavon Austin is the quote-unquote number one receiver for the Rams. They picked up Sammy Watkins, who Woods played with in Buffalo. If we're thinking about how Sean McVay is calling the plays, he's got a creative offense, how important is Woods as a third option at the receiver position? Well, I tell you, when you have when you have a player like Woods, in my opinion, um, that has the speed, the ability, uh, the understanding, of the game. Um, anytime you can have those types of players on the roster, uh, it really does open the game plan enough to give you a chance as a as a play caller to be able to let's just say call what you want to call. You know, think about it. You know, you have a speedster, you have a a bigger guy that's a speedster that's fast. Uh, It really gives you a chance to be able to do what you want to do. So even though Woods, uh, he only have, what, four receptions for nine yards so far up until this – well, for 61 yards, targeted nine times, only having four receptions. Um, You know, it it really gives you an opportunity – to even be a decoy at times. You know, it's good to have your main receiver. Uh, like Jerry Rice, let's use him as an example. When Jerry Rice was a receiver on the team, you know, we had Clark as the tight end, but when he had an opportunity to have Taylor and a few other receivers on that roster, that really opened the doors tremendously for him because now these other guys now either could catch the ball because now Jerry Rice becomes a decoy in certain formations and certain situations down in distances when you may have favored another player. Now, all of a sudden, another player becomes open after he's been targeted so much. So it really it really helps tremendously on how, you know, you can weigh out the play calling on the field. It's not heavy right uh, formation or it's not heavy to the tight end side. It now can be distributed throughout the entire offensive fronts 
when it comes down to formation. So having a Robert Woods in the mix does help out the other receivers on this roster, regardless if it's Watkins to to Cup or even Everett, when it comes down to getting them the football, whomever it may be, having three receivers on the roster really allows the quarterback to pick his poison, so to speak, when it comes down to throwing the football based on where the coverage allows him to throw the football. You mentioned Taylor and Rice, and I can close my eyes and think of a Monday night football game between the Rams and the 49ers. The Rams were selling out to try to take Jerry Rice out of the game John Taylor had a monster game. Yes, Robert Woods will try to do the same thing in primetime tonight as the Rams take on the 49ers on Thursday Night Football. Robert Woods, this week's home team hero presented by Miller Lite. NFL No Huddle highlights your home team hero presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Miller Lite, hold true. NFL No Huddle returns right after this. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle, a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane punt returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed with more taste with only 96 calories, Miller Lite, the original light beer. To be enjoyed from pregame to postgame, it's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste, Miller Lite. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. To continue previewing Thursday Night Football, we're joined now by senior reporter for 49ers.com, Joe Fan. Joe, thanks for taking the time. As you know, head coach Kyle Shanahan said that Brian Hoyer needs to step up after having less than 100 passing yards on the road in Seattle. Since Hoyer and Shanahan were together in Cleveland, did the team think Brian would have a better command of this offense? Uh, been a surprise that he struggled as much as he has. Granted, uh, and I think it's a fair caveat going against the, the Panthers and Seahawks, I think, it's fair to assume that a number of NFL quarterbacks would, would struggle with those two groups, but still it doesn't excuse uh, the missed passes, the errant throws, the missed opportunities through two games. And there have been some of those, some of those for the taking against both teams. Um, he looks really sharp in training camp, had his, his moments in the preseason you saw in the first half against the Minnesota Vikings in that dress rehearsal in preseason week three. Um, so I think, yeah, it's been a surprise. I think everyone was, was probably hoping for more so far, but I, I think you know, I don't, at this point he's not in any danger of losing his job. Give me a take on Carlos Hyde. I mean, he's been, what, 43.8% of the offense, whether it's running, catching, whatever they needed him to do. Uh, how long can you, you think they can keep this going until maybe an injury bug step in? I'm not putting anything out there for him, but you can only work him that hard for so long, right? Yeah, well, I think the thing is he hasn't had a ton of carries, right? I think he only had, what, 10 in week one or maybe less than that, and then 15 in week two. So the, the yards per carry average has been so nice, but it's not like they've been working him into the ground, giving him 30 touches a game. And so I think he's still relatively fresh for sure going into week three. Uh, what I've loved is that I've seen from, from Carlos so far right now is, is he's really putting the team on his back and he's carrying the load. And, you know, if the passing game's not working, he's taking it upon himself to get things going. And he did that, you know, both the scoring drives in the first half to tie the game against Seattle. One was on a 60-yard run or 61-yard run is career long. And then the other one, I think people forget that that second score, it was third and 12. The 49ers ready to punt the ball, really concede that drive, punt the ball back to the Seahawks before the half. Instead, it turns into a 27-yard gain. San Francisco gets a field goal to tie it at six going into halftime. And so uh, we've always known he's been talented, but I love you know, taking it upon himself to be that leader and to, to carry the team when things are struggling in the passing game. 
Chatting with Joe Fan, senior reporter, 49ers.com. He joins us live from Levi Stadium as we get set for the Rams and Niners tonight on Thursday Night Football. Joe, it's unfortunate the linebacker Ruben Foster has been dealing with the ankle sprain. What can you tell us about the leadership the rookie is already bringing this team? I've been reading some of the coverage online from the San Francisco Bay Area. Sounds like Foster has already become an important voice in the locker room. Yeah, I think... It's just when you're that special of a player, you automatically command respect, right? And I think he's someone who, who goes about things the right way. He obviously knows that Navarro Bowman's the leader of the locker room and, and hasn't tried to take ownership of things day one. But at the same time, he knows what he's capable of. The team knows what he's capable of. And what's crazy is it took him just 11 snaps on week one to really whet our appetite and show us just how special of a talent that he is. Three tackles, one tackle for a loss on Christian McCaffrey uh, on a pass out into the left flat. Um, nearly a pick six on another play, settled for the PBU to get the 49ers off the field. I mean, this guy is a special player. He's a special talent. He's got an unbelievable nose for the football. He flies sideline to sideline. I mean, uh, it's just impressive how quickly he showed us just that, that you know, he's the best player on the field uh, as a rookie. When you look at this last game when the 49ers played against Seattle, um, you look at it and say, you know what, this game was much closer than the, the actual end result ended up indicating. Was that more of because Seattle was struggling or more it's more of you saw this 49ers football team actually making some quality plays out on the football field? And if that's the case, can this team get better as the year goes on if they start gelling and have an opportunity to be amongst one another without injuries a little bit longer? You certainly hope that the team can get better. I think it was a great sign to be able to compete in Seattle. I mean, the team hasn't won in Seattle and. Since 2011, and much of those games have been double-digit uh, point margins for the Seahawks. So the fact that it was such a close game, you have a lead in the fourth quarter, um, obviously not able to, to keep it, but that's still signs of progress, especially for the defense, keeping Russell Wilson under 200 yards rushing, uh, uh, 200 yards throwing, pardon me, um, really containing the running game until those last couple of drives when uh, the defense got worn down. I mean, they were on the field for 36 minutes and only allowed 12 points. Uh, that's pretty impressive. I think offensively you hope things improve. Um, but to do so without Reuben Foster, um, to me, I think should be a, a sign of optimism and signs of progress from a year ago where that defense ranked last in the league. Joe Fan, senior reporter, 49ers.com, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Joe, I did TV and radio in San Francisco for about a decade before moving to L.A., so I think I have a general sense of how the marketplace works. And I understand, even though the seats are sold, We've seen a lot of empty seats at Levi Stadium. Given when this game kicks off, heart of rush hour tonight, a lot of fans still heading to Santa Clara when the game gets underway. Any concerns about how the stadium is going to look on national TV? Um, I think everyone's concerned with getting a win, to be quite honest with you. I don't think anyone's going to be upset with fans if they can't make it after work or aren't um, you know, fighting traffic for a couple of hours um, to get here on you know, a Thursday night for an 0-2 team. I think... You know, everyone knows that, you know, I think the fans that are here have been really supportive. Um, it was, you know, there were, there were points where it was definitely loud in week one against the Panthers. Um, no one's going to be worried about that until the team starts putting some wins um, in that W column. And so I think that's first and foremost. Everyone's worried about that. Um, obviously, you like a sellout, but you got to face the reality of the situation. Coming off of a 2-14 and 14 season, people aren't going to buy in immediately and, um, you know, put all their plans aside to make sure they're at a game in person. And so... Um, you know, first things first, you got to be competitive. It looks like the 49ers are on that way, uh, on their way to doing so. Um, but now you got to get wins. And, you know, when you get in those close games like you were in week two in Seattle, you've got to be able to come away with a W. And so uh, I would say tonight it's just all about getting that first win of the Kyle Shanahan era. Being around the, the 
complex for some time uh, with Kyle Shanahan and, and, and John Lynch as the as the excuse me as the GM. Uh, give me the feeling around the the the, the team and, and around the organization as, in general. Is the energy positive? Is it optimistic? Is are they really breaking things down to the to the nitty gritty for as the details are concerned and. And, and, and is that enough as you move forward? Because they both have six-year deals. Is that enough moving forward to possibly make this team a contender, maybe three years in uh, with these two together as the head coach as well as the GM? Yeah, a lot to unpack there. I think for starters, the, you know they've sold all along and, and know that this is going to be a process. And that's obviously difficult. And there's going to be growing pains, but they're understanding that this isn't going to be an immediate thing. You can't just overhaul a roster and make it a championship team overnight. Uh, but in terms of the vibe, I, I can tell you this. This is my third year here. I haven't seen anything like this in terms of the vibe in the building, the sentiment among fans, um, the belief in the locker room, um, just that this team is headed in the right direction, the right people are in place. Uh, I talked to Mike Tirico yesterday, um, just chatting with him about uh, uh, the production meetings he had. and you know, He was saying more so than I've seen with other regimes, these two guys are in lockstep, referring to John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. Um, going to, to Kyle Shanahan specifically, the players love him because not only does he tell them what to do, he tells them why they need to do it. He really gives the guy an understanding of their job and how their job is going to make the team successful. And so that's really resonated with the locker room. Again, they're facing some adversity right now. They've lost their first two games. Um, you know, and They're working through that, but I think people are still very positive uh, about what this team can do in the future. Joe, we appreciate the information. Enjoy the game tonight at Levi Stadium. Hey, Brian Cordell, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle, a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane punt returns, and I can't believe he caught that. Look for the light beer that's always brewed with more taste with only 96 calories, Miller Lite, the original light beer. To be enjoyed from pregame to postgame, it's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste, Miller Lite. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast today, it's time for the Fantasy Fix with Holden Kushner of TuneIn Sports. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Takes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked off. Intercepted. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the Fantasy Fix. Today, we're pleased to be joined by our pal Holden Kushner. Holden, any thoughts on tonight's game from the fantasy point of view other than stay away from Brian Hoyer at all costs? Well, I got to tell you, I like Sammy Watkins a little bit here. A little, little, little risky, but he's going up against Rashard Robinson, who's given up about uh, 2.2 fantasy points per target. And he's uh, been getting burned left and right. So I like him. I love Carlos Hyde, who has proven to be matchup proof, and he can gash this offense. And then Todd Gurley who I, I, still, I still look at the talent, and I, I like the fact that McVay is featuring him in the passing game a lot. I still have question as to whether or not he's any type of extraordinary talent, but fantasy perspective, I think those three guys are not bad tonight. I actually think there's three decent plays. How about Derrick Henry, and how big of a week could he have? Well, it comes down to DeMarco Murray at this point. I mean, DeMarco Murray did not practice again today, and we've seen what Derrick Henry can do in, in spurts at this point. And 
For me, I love the young, fresh legs. I think Derrick Henry is going to be a stud in this league for a long, long time once he gets uh, his choice or his chance out there. He's not getting a chance as of yet. But again, I, I don't know what you guys have on DeMarco Murray, but I'll tell you, Derrick Henry averaged over six and a half yards per carry last week when he had that 14 carry game. Uh, in some garbage time. And then Oakland, even against Oakland, he averaged over four yards per carry. You go back to last year, uh, again, I, I like everything about this, and the Seattle run defense can be had. It's the Fantasy Fix with Holden Kushner. Check him out tonight. MLB at the Plate 7 Eastern. Holden, we know that tight ends are underrepresented in the Hall of Fame, so with all of the history made by Antonio Gates on Sunday in L.A., becoming the all-time leader for touchdowns at that position, where is Jason Witten at this stage of his career as a fantasy playmaker? I think he's just a back-end wide or tight end one at this point. Obviously, Dak Prescott continues to utilize him. He's up there in the top two in targets so far as a tight end, believe it or not. He just doesn't stop. So, yeah, at this point, I don't think he's anything flashy. He's nothing sexy. He's probably not going to win you a league, but he's not going to lose you a uh, a week he is getting utilized in that offense and i think uh, he's got to be rostered and he's probably got to be started this week i say location 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 sometimes can determine the outcome and the outlook of some players when playing but in general do you raise or lower the value of a player because a game is being played in london uh you know what there's been extensive research on this by the way and there really is not much of a change um, for teams that go over to London. It's, it's just been a really sporadic. Um, so I, I, don't, I think it's just about as unpredictable as you will see in a game here in the States. Uh, from time to time, we've seen teams outperform uh, their numbers, and from time to time, we've seen teams underperform. So I don't think there's any big change when you just look at over-unders and fantasy production and real production when they go over to number just by the numbers. Now, the players may tell you different, especially if you're going from the West Coast all the way out to London and then all the way back. But from a stats point of view, no. It's very unpredictable, just like week to week here in the NFL. So with the Ravens taking on the Jags, who we know are an international brand, they're London's <laughs> team now, you don't expect anything more from Blake Borders, right? It's it's pretty funny you actually put it that way. Yeah, that's that they're an international team. Uh, no, he's, I expect Blake Bortles to be extraordinarily inefficient and sloppy once again. So fire up your Ravens, D. I am. Cordell, your thoughts. You play for the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> oh, well, the Baltimore Ravens, they defensively, they're, they're about as good as it can get, I think, right now, defensively, especially coming to the secondary. I wouldn't put too much on the offensive side of the football. I'll stick with the defensive side, guys. Don't you? I you don't like me. You don't like a little Buck Allen action? The fact yeah. that he's, especially with West Down, maybe he's going to have the ball in his hand a little bit more. He I may, like Buck he, Allen. He may, he may, but it, it's going to come down to the guy that's behind the center. You know that. I don't think it's going to come down to that portion of it all. I do think it's going to come down to the defense playing really solid, led by T-Sizzle, uh, mm-hmm. Terrell Suggs. And, and, and after that, it's off to the races to see who can actually be the team that can last all the way to the end. That's and how obvi- I see it. Obviously, that's and that's real football, and that's what you guys do best. And then from a fantasy side, though, if you got a terrific defense and you're ahead in the game, then it makes it's it's logical, and there's correlations that you want to have the running back that's going to have the most carries. So if it's a defensive game, your team's playing from ahead, 
you want the running back because the run game should be more emphasized. So that's why I like Buck Allen a little bit. And I think he's actually matchup proof because he catches balls too. No, I think the versatility should be a factor coming up. It's the early, early game, 9.30 a.m. Eastern, streaming on Yahoo, and we've got it on TuneIn Premium. Cordell, we often embrace colorful names on this program. I think you should be mindful. Buck Allen's real first name, Javorius. Javorius. <laughs> That's a name. Now, that's a name. We've had a few names we talked about on this show, but Javarius. Well, what's the other ones? Cordell has an attorney named Antavius. 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 He sounds like he's a part of the 300. You know, it's funny. I, you know, I lost out with my wife. My, I wanted my kid to be named Don Tavius, and I'm not kidding. I brought it up there. My wife shot it down, so I think we're going with, like, Wait Maxwell or something. What's the etymology? <laughs> Why were you like going that. with Don Tavius? I just think it's a badass name. My wife yeah, actually just literally just walked into the room, looked at me, and then is staring at me like, no, this is not going to happen. Why did you even bring this up publicly? Call him I Don think Don Tavis Tavis short. is a great name. Yeah, he would be red hot, Tavis. right? Yeah, Tavius is not bad. Tave, Don, you know, a lot of ways you, you just You wanted that. something that was short that you could actually give him as he's walking around the house. Hey, Tave. Yo, Don. Yeah, well, something Don, like yeah. that. It's good to yeah. call a, a toddler Don Magic One. Fantasy <laughs> Fix with Holden Kushner, host of MLB at the Plate. Holden, let me try to keep my job here. What's the? <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, uh, I'm, what? I'm, I'm doing I'm what kidding, I can. I'm kidding, yeah. what, what is the overall view of what's going on at the running back position in Atlanta? Because they paid Devontae Freeman. He finally stepped up on Sunday in the win over Green Bay. But we know that Tevin Coleman's in the mix. You know what? I really like what Sarkeesian's doing here. It's a little bit different. If you've had uh, Devontae Freeman over the last year, maybe it's been a 60-40 timeshare. Well, Freeman's starting to get more of the snaps. Freeman's starting to get more of the targets. He was out there for 65% of the snaps last week. Although, uh, again, this this could be where it goes back to 60% uh, like it was against Chicago. But I feel like Sarkeesian's looking at Devontae Freeman a little bit more as a workhorse back. I absolutely love him. But here's my thing. You play daily fantasy, and I've, I've cashed some nice paychecks with this one. I sometimes enjoy a Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman running back stack because both those guys are going to eat, and we saw it happen last week. Not so sure it happens this week on the road at Detroit. But I see a Buffalo matchup, and later in the year, New Orleans a couple of times, too. Nice. A.J. Green has had a, a, an extremely quiet start uh, so far this year. Uh, but give me his value if you were to have A.J. McCarron in the lineup. Uh, I, I think Andy Dalton or A.J. McCarron, I think they're throwing it to him this week. And you know what? I was actually looking forward to talking to you guys about this because, for me, A.J. Green is going to be a top-five performer this week. If you had one of your wide receivers coming out and demanding the football, what are you doing that week, Cordell? You're throwing it to him. You're throwing it to him. All right, so I love A.J. Green this week. Give it to me, baby. This is one of the top, what, three, four wide receivers in the game in real-life football, and they're not giving him the ball. I mean, he's had five catches both times, both, both, both weeks. This is ridiculous. Andy Dalton, if he wants to save his career here, he better start getting the ball to A.J. Green. A.J. Green's a top-five play, if not a top-two or three play this week. Love him, and and if you can go out and acquire him right now on the cheap, I say go do it. Plus, he's the quiet man of elite wide receivers when he talks. It certainly speaks volumes. All right, you want more trivia, guys? A.J. Green's real name? Dontavious. Adriel Jeremiah. Adriel. Pretty cool, right? Adriel is cool. It's different. Yeah. I'm what's on a roll. I have no life here. Julio Jones, real <laughs> said, name. What's your real name? Julio Jones, fellas. <laughs> Julio. Quintoris. Oh, Ooh. stop it. Would I make that up? Quintoris. Say it one more time. Julio Jones, given name, Quintoris. Quintoris. Now, yeah. where, does Julio, where does Julio come from? You got to ask his mom and dad. Quintoris. 
Yeah, yeah I like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's different. I mean, that's, it is. Back I, in the I would, day, gladiator. Need to, maybe I could slip that one in at the last. Yeah, second. try that with your bride, honey. It's, How like, about Game of, it's like Game of Thrones almost. You know, I still think Jaquiz is Jaquiz his real name. Jaquiz. I believe. I it like is, that yeah. one. Though. That's, that's, a, that's a, a really good. Come one. on, he's just the quiz. Dr. It's Jaquiz. wonderful. Jaquiz is a great name. Nobody beats the quiz. Nobody. Holden, have you considered Cordell? It's a lovely name. I have. Uh, the other thing is I'm wondering where the surname Cohen comes in for Tariq Cohen. He does not look like he is celebrating Rosh Hashanah. I don't know where that one ended up finding it, but that, that's what happened with Tariq Cohen. You know, I've got a Dr. Cohen. I don't know where Tariq Cohen comes from. So that's a little bit. The, the last name on that one is standing out to me. Any, any explanations there? You stumped me there, pal. Exactly. How about Brian? What, what, what do you think about that one? Eh, yeah, I'm with you. Know, you. Brian, t- it's, t- it's fine. <laughs> no, it's not great. Hold on, I'll take you behind the curtain as a radio guy. I hated uh-huh. my name as a student broadcaster. Everybody did. Right. I hate mine to this day. Right. You know, so I cares. tried to be... I like d- mine. Well, yeah, because you love everything about you. <laughs> I, yeah. love I tried to be Dutch Weber. I tried Dutch. to be Red Weber doing yeah. college radio. The Dutch That's man nice. stuck for about yeah. three baseball games, and I was Brian again. The Dutch man. Double Dutch. Right? Are the- you Dutch? No, I just like the notion okay. that when I would do the first four <laughs> innings and the last two, when I came back, We're my broadcast partner would say, and now for the call of the eighth inning, here's the Dutchman, Dutch Weber. Who's the best Dutch quarterback in the history of the NFL? The best. Mm-hmm. Is there, I don't know. I don't think Jaworski's Dutch. But, All right. Uh, that's the first well, one. I know Anyways, the, hang more on. fantasy questions? Or I, no, no, no. I've got one more baseball plug. This will okay. be a seamless synergy. Yeah. As you know, <laughs> Burt Blindleffen's from the Netherlands. <laughs> This is why I get to fill in for you. So is D.D. Gregorius. There you go. Oh, Cornell, do you have any idea where we're speaking, or is this I Latin now? No. Okay. I mean, what about Tebow? I mean, where does that come from? <laughs> Tim, that's a good question. Just Tebow. And what is, yeah. How does that one work? Into this I think equation? Jameis is uh, of Dutch Orison, too. Origin. Jameis. Jameis. Yep, Jameis is good. Winston. All right, this is award-winning as always. Holden, when is this kid due? Am I going to have to fill in for you? How long is your paternity? Oh, here? you're not going to have to worry about a thing, okay. boys. Just i got it covered, trust me. Did you map this out professionally? I want to hear the story. No, no, no. It was a complete accident. I was taken (laughs) aback. I'm not not even kidding. Uh, It took us three years to figure out how to have one. I thought I was done. Um, Got a call from my wife when I was actually out there in Los Angeles waiting to do some stuff in spring training. And she called, and I said, okay. And uh, now number two is coming. Outstanding. What's the expected due date? Right around Thanksgiving. Oh, wonderful. Um, Happy holidays. Well, hopefully it'll be Friday and not so I can watch it. My wife is already saying I cannot watch the Thursday games. <laughs> but let's face it. There's a TV in there and I got my phone. Most importantly, will you give us the fantasy fix even if you're at the hospital? Really funny. So I will try to. I absolutely will try to. I'm not going to put my life on the line for it. But it's a, it's an entire it's a possibility. Yes, I would like to. Congratulations! Like have a wonderful program, and Good glad nice. to hear you're feeling better. I know you were on the DL. Oh, I for couldn't a little even bit there. I couldn't even talk for the last week and a half, so it's nice to be able to talk to gentlemen. Thank you very much. I appreciate. Always it. Always a pleasure. Have a great show tonight. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.